All right, welcome everybody. How many of you guys are excited to be at New Life Church today? Come on. Are you? Awesome. Awesome. I want to say hello to everybody worshiping with us at the Carney campus, at our North Platte campus, Ogallala campus, and our global campus online. So excited to have people worshiping with us. We are one church in multiple locations, and that's exciting. Today we are going to wrap up our teaching series entitled Hope is Here. I don't know about you, but it's been an encouraging series. Amen? And if you've been around and you've been able to be a part of these, your, your, your heart will be filled with hope. And if you haven't been, please go to mynewlifechurch.com and click on our on-demand area where you can go back and you can watch some of the previous messages that coincide with this teaching series. Because in week one and processing all the way through to this week, we talked about how we could have hope for the weary. That Jesus provides hope for the weary. Why? Because through Christ, we don't have to carry all of our burdens by ourselves. That's good news, right? That through Christ, there is hope for the broken. Why? Because through God and through the, through the grace of Jesus Christ, there, there can be sins forgiven through the grace of Jesus Christ. Therefore, there's hope for the broken, right? And we can have hope for the underdog. That because through Christ, right, we can do anything. And, and that's kind of where we've been. And today, I really want to talk to you about this last message Hope for the doubter. Hope for the doubter. Now you might be sitting here and go, well, that's not me, Jeff. That's not me. Why would you be saying this message to me, right? I don't doubt. Yeah, okay, well, that's good. That's good. I'm glad that you feel that way. But I guarantee you there are other people at this church that do. Because we're trying to create a safe environment uh, for people to come, walk through the doors at any of our campuses and have an experience with other believers and with Jesus where their doubt is in a safe place. Because it's, it's doubt, finding hope for the doubter is one of the hardest things you can do. It's one of the hardest places that you can actually find hope. In fact, some actually believe that there's no hope that could ever be found for the doubter. Before you leave here today, I believe that your heart on that issue is going to change. I believe that not only are, are you going to believe that there's hope for the doubter, but I believe that every single person listening to my voice today is going to be empowered to bring hope to the doubter. Have you guys ever heard news? Have you ever heard something that just seemed like it was just too hard to believe? You ever ever heard one of those? Like maybe it was just too outlandish. Like, hey, have you ever, did you see the news article this week where aliens landed on the White House lawn? Little outlandish, okay? And you're probably like, that's a little hard to believe. Or maybe one of those statements where it's just too good to be true. Friend comes up to you at work and says, hey, did you get the letter that I got? I won the sweepstakes. One million dollars is coming my way. I got to go home right now. They said, be at the front door when I come. <laughs> right? Too good to be true. Right? And the reason why you know, we, we kind of like are like, oh, that's too good to be true. That's outlandish is because we've been lied to so many times by so many different people and we've been misled. And it's caused us to doubt the facts. And social media has definitely not helped the cause. Right? At any given moment, there could be all kinds of things that are being thrown out on social media that you're just having to flip through and go, nah, nah, nah I don't believe that, don't believe that, don't believe that, that that's ridiculous, that's crazy. I mean, have you guys ever had a conversation with somebody where you were discussing something with them and you said, well, it's got to be true, it's on the internet. <laughs> right? If you've ever had that kind of conversation, then you know the doubt that I'm talking about. And then with COVID, COVID has only increased doubt, at least 
in our nation, and I believe in many places of the world where uh, people now in our nation more than ever are doubting the government. Uh, now more than ever, we, we doubt the media's reporting, right? People, people are doubting where the virus came from and who created it and why they created it. There's doubt surrounding the safety of the vaccine, what's actually in the vaccine, you know, does the vaccine even work? And then there's doubt even about all the numbers of COVID, of the impact that it's had. And it's just stirred a lot of doubt. And you just feel doubt, like stirring around uh, in, the, in the society fabric of our nation. And worse yet, people are doubting maybe where God has been in the midst of this COVID crisis. And when you look and you talk to people and you hear about the pain and the suffering and the hurt that COVID has caused, there are people that are wrestling with the doubt of, is God really good? Can God actually be trusted? Is God still faithful? I'm here to tell you today that it's not the doubt. Doubt is not the problem. Because we're all going to doubt at different moments and at different periods of our life. How we handle doubt, that's the big question. How do you handle doubt? Because when we don't handle doubt correctly, then it opens up this gaping hole inside of our heart that starts draining hope out of our life. When we don't handle it correctly. And hope just dwindles down to nothing. But i got good news for you. If you've ever doubted God, or you've ever doubted the goodness of God, you're not alone. Even the disciples doubted the goodness of God and started to doubt who really is God. I mean, after investing three years of their life into Jesus, they watched their leader and their friend die a brutal death on a cross. And now they're wondering to themselves, like, well, what is up with this investment over these last three years? Jesus isn't the king, and I am not some high-powered, you know, leader serving alongside of him. So what really happened? What went down? Right? And this doubt is starting to creep into the heart until one critical second changed everything. While they were in this moment of wondering what the future holds and doubting whether the last few years were even worth it, Jesus radically shows up in their midst. After he had died on the cross, he rose again three days later. But they had not seen him yet. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up in this room and he surprises them. And they freak out like you would freak out. And they go from this moment where doubt's starting to creep into their heart, where all of a sudden their heart is filled with hope again. With one exception. One of the disciples, Thomas. Thomas wasn't there when Jesus showed up in that room that day. And the disciples, his friends, they went on to tell him, like, Thomas, you're not, this is awesome, man. This is incredible. Right? Jesus just showed himself to us. We just talked with him. We touched him. Like, he's back. He's back. And you know what Thomas says to them? I don't believe you. I don't believe a word that you're saying. I'm going to be preaching today out of John chapter 20. If you have a Bible or you got your smartphone and you want to open it up to you version Verse 24 and 25 says that one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. This is what Thomas says to his buddies. Right now, many people like are down on Thomas. They think like Thomas gets a bad rap because he's a skeptic. 
Thomas gets a bad rap because they see him as a man who lacks faith. But before you jump to that conclusion, I want you to put yourself into Thomas's shoes. Thomas has witnessed with his own two eyes, heard with his own two ears, felt with all the senses that God has given him as he watched his friend and leader die a brutal death on a cross. Thomas knows where the tomb is at. Thomas has probably even seen the stone rolled in front of the tomb. Thomas has seen the guard guarding the tomb. Thomas has lived on this earth long enough to know that when a man dies on this earth, he doesn't come back to life. He's seen death. He's seen the power of death. He's never experienced anyone defeating death. And then all of a sudden, Thomas is put in a situation where all of his other friends have believed something, have seen it, and Thomas is being asked to believe it as well. That's a tough place to be. Put yourself in those shoes. But what, what's the issue with Thomas not trusting his friends? I mean, these guys had spent three years together. They had a bond. They had this band of brotherhood with one another. They had overcome difficult situations. They had seen miraculous things take place. They had been in deep conversations with one another. They had carried each other's burdens. They had walked with one another, literally in sandals, right, across the desert. They had, they had traversed a lot of land, had a lot of meals, had sat down with one another for a lot of time. For all, all purpose and sake, we know that the evidence points to the fact that Thomas probably had a wonderful relationship with his disciple friends. He, he, had, a, he had a bond with them. Why doesn't Thomas believe why is Thomas doubting? Thomas was doubting because he didn't want to get his expectations crushed. That's why Thomas is doubting. And we do the very same thing. We doubt to protect ourselves. We doubt to protect ourselves from disappointment. That if I trust God, man, is he going to let me down? Right? We, we doubt to protect ourselves from embarrassment. That man, if I really believe that God is good... And am I going to, at the end of this, look like a fool? And the doubt that we often express, you and me, because we all have it, the doubt that we often express is a way of really keeping ourselves from getting our hope up, from maybe giving, getting your hope up that maybe life can get better than what it is. We doubt that life can get better than what it is so we don't let hope rise. So doubt we doubt it so hope doesn't rise to believe that life can get better than what it is. We, we, we let doubt creep in so that hope doesn't rise so that we can actually believe that a prayer might actually get answered. We live with doubt and crushed hope because we're really uncertain whether God really does love us. And ultimately, we, we don't believe and let hope rise to the level that it needs to be in our lives because we're afraid that God will just let us down. I mean, how have you guys really responded when someone's told you good news? Just think about it for a moment. Someone came to you, and they told you some really good news. How does the average human, how does the average American respond when someone comes and tells them, man, I got good news for you, and then they tell it to you? What do you say back to them? No way. Are you serious? You must be kidding me. Did you just hear those first three responses that all of us have made at one point or another in our life? That was a statement of doubt. And we make those slight statements of doubt to try to protect ourselves. Because someone somewhere in your life has played a practical joke on you. And you don't want to get suckered again 
because it's April Fool's. Right? You don't want to get pulled back in to that same thing. So our first response is, is the doubts because we're trying to protect ourselves. Now, I get this. Like, towards strangers and towards certain organizations, yeah, wisdom says, look, let them prove themselves, right? So you might doubt them until you trust them. But when it comes to, like, other believers in New Life Church, that shouldn't be our response. Our response to believers in New Life Church should be, I don't doubt you, I trust you. Until you prove that I should doubt you or that I shouldn't trust you. And especially, guys, when it comes to God, we shouldn't doubt God's plan. Even when times get tough, times get difficult, the season becomes hurtful, the season becomes painful, it becomes uncertain. We shouldn't, we shouldn't doubt God. We should keep trusting God. God never promised that life was going to be pain-free. But what did God promise? He promised this, that he'd never leave us, he would never forsake us. And I'm here to tell you today, one pastor to some incredible people, just your friend, I'm here to tell you today that if you'll let God show you his faithfulness, I think you'll be blown away. That if you'll bring your, your, your lack of trust, your doubt to God, and you'll let him come into this situation or into this circumstance, I believe that what will happen for you is your heart will be overwhelmed with hope, and you'll discover that the faithfulness of God is to be trusted. But back to Thomas. Thomas was doubting. He was doubting his trusted friends. He was doubting their testimony. He was doubting their, their integrity. He was doubting their character even at that moment because he didn't believe everything that they said. But Thomas was also in a place where he was doubting that Jesus is God. How do I know that? It's common sense. If Thomas believed that Jesus actually is God, then why would he ever doubt that Jesus was back alive again? So Thomas isn't just doubting his friends. He's doubting the validity of Jesus Christ. And for eight days, Thomas doubted the story of his friends until Jesus all of a sudden surprised them and showed up in this locked room while they were gathered together. Verse 26. It says this, that eight days later, the disciples were together again. At this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. Come on, somebody, say locked. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you. And the disciples were like, ah, like that. It's not in there. It's only in certain versions do you actually get that. Right? Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Right? Put your hand into the wound in my side. I love these next words. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Okay, look, let's just bring this into light. For eight days, there is this trust issue between Thomas and his friends. For eight days. And what does this scripture help us to see? That eight days later, somehow, some way, they're still together. And they're not just together, they actually have locked themselves into a room together. They're discussing life. They're working through plans. They're, they're thinking about what the future is going to hold. Can you imagine the conversations that are happening in that locked room where Thomas is the only one who doesn't believe? What were all the other ones planning? All the other ones were planning this. Hey, we've seen Jesus. This is where we're going to go. And Thomas is locked in the room with them. Can you feel the tension? Have you ever been at a board table where everybody wants to go one direction and one person doesn't? It's not fun. 
It's not a fun time. Have you ever been in a decision-making process in your home, right, where everybody wants to go eat at one place, but one person doesn't? And I'm not talking about, you know, mama, because if it's mama, we always know that she's got the veto. Okay? So have you ever been in that situation, like, where one person doesn't want what everyone else wants. It's a place of tension. And this is where the disciples are at. But the disciples evidently have created the type of space that Thomas needed to wrestle through his doubt because they're still connected as friends. They're still locked in a room planning for the future. Isn't that a beautiful picture? They didn't kick Thomas out of the club because he doubted them. What? I'm afraid, I'm afraid that if I was in your club and I doubted you, you'd probably kick me right out of your club. Because that's how we treat each other. That's how humans react. But not the disciples. The disciples created this safe place. They didn't kick him out. In fact, what did they do? They brought him in close. They locked themselves in a room together. We're still on the same team, Thomas. We're still moving the same direction. We're praying for you that your eyes will be opened. We're asking, Jesus, would you show yourself to my friend again? That's what's going on in the heart of the disciples. They were showing true love to Thomas, even though he was wrestling with doubt. And Jesus did the very same thing. That when he showed up in that locked room and he surprised them, he said, peace be with you. Which could also be said like this. If it was today and we were all locked in a room and Jesus showed up, whoa, sorry dudes, didn't mean to scare you. Could be said like that. Then Jesus immediately goes and starts addressing the doubt that Thomas had. But he addresses it with compassion, and he leaves shame out of the equation. He comes to Thomas before Thomas could ever ask a question, because Jesus already knows what he's thinking. Why? Because he's fully God. He didn't have to be there when Thomas confessed his doubt to his disciple friends. He knew it in his heart. Jesus shows up in the room. The first thing that Jesus does is he turns to Thomas, and he goes, Thomas, touch my scars. Look at the holes in my hand. And then he says to him, Thomas, don't live in doubt any longer, but let your heart be filled with hope again. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I know this as your pastor. There's people in our church right now that are wrestling with doubt. They're wrestling with a doubt of whether they should have faith and keep their faith in God in a particular situation or in a relationship or with their finances or with their work or with their education or with future decisions. And there's a lot of people that are still wrestling with this idea of, is Jesus really who he said that he is? And some, unfortunately, have even lost hope that Jesus is who he said that he is. But you're here right now. And I just want to let you know, I want to speak right now to the doubter for a second. And I just want you to know that, look, if you hang on to that doubt, it's going to push you away from Jesus. You're, you will have no other choice but to push yourself away from Jesus. And here's what else happens. If you hang on to your doubt, you will push yourself away from other believers. But that's not where it ends. That's not the worst. The worst comes after that. Because if you hang on to doubt, then doubt turns into shame. And you start feeling shame. And you put shame on yourself. And then that shame turns into anger. And you start getting angry at what you doubted. You start getting angry at others. And you start taking out your doubt now that's turned to shame and to anger out on others. And eventually, eventually you actually start to feel like a hypocrite at some point, And you don't even want to walk through the doors of New Life Church anymore. And that's the trajectory of doubt. It doesn't just linger in your heart. 
it turns into something that starts driving you away from the cross and away from other believers and out to a place of death and isolation. But I want you to know today that Jesus isn't afraid of our doubt. He's not afraid of it. He doesn't shy back from it. Jesus will treat you the same way that he treated Thomas with respect and with kindness. Jesus will meet you at your place of doubt. Jesus will be patient with you as you process through your doubt. But I want you to know today that Jesus isn't going to leave anybody in their doubt. He's going to be challenging you to let go of that doubt that creates hopelessness inside of your heart. He's always going to be challenging you. He's going to be doing what he did for Thomas. Hey, come back to a place of faith. Come back to a place of belief, Thomas. I want you to come back to a place where your heart is filled with hope again. That's who Jesus is towards the doubter. That's good news, church. That's the God we serve. That's who he is. That's who he was. It is who he is, and it is who he will forever be. And he expects his church to be the exact same way. So today, here's the challenge for the believer now. If you actually call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have a responsibility to create a safe place for those who doubt. You don't have an option. It's what Jesus did, right? Jesus did this with Thomas. The disciples did this with Thomas, and Jesus wants you and me to do this for those who are doubting God, doubting the goodness of God, doubting the faithfulness of God, doubting the trustworthiness of God, going through hurt and pain right now, wrestling with, can I actually trust God? God's expecting us to create that kind of environment here at New Life Church at all of our campuses. So here's the big question. We know, we know that Jesus has grace for the doubter. He showed it. We know that the disciples had grace for their doubting friend Thomas. The big question is this, do you have grace for the doubter? Do you, got, do you have the kind of grace that could run eight days shoulder to shoulder with a doubter? Do you have the kind of grace inside of your life that you could actually wrestle with someone in love with a doubter? Do you have the kind of grace that you could actually hear a doubter spew their thoughts and their ideas out onto the table and your heart isn't just to try to fix them, but it's to love them, to meet them where they are and to pray for them. Jesus, would you open up their eyes? Jesus, would you show yourself to them again? Do you have grace for them to have coffee and discuss and to hear their shattered life and their unmet expectations and prayers? If you want that kind of grace, let me give you a couple of thoughts that you should use to exercise that grace. If you find yourself in coffee, in a life group, in your own home with someone who's doubting faith right now, the best thing you can do is just to listen to their story. Listen to the story of the doubter. Listen, listen for where the doubt started. Listen for where the pain and the hurt actually came from. Ask questions to understand, not just to try to go into fix-it mode. The more that a doubter is heard, the more hope can actually fill a doubter's heart. They need to talk it out. Sometimes as they talk it out, the thing that comes out of their mouth, their ear hears, and they go, that doesn't make any sense. Why do I believe that? When you give them space to talk, when you ask questions, it's one of the best things you can do. Then you can share your testimony. You can tell them at the right moment. But don't make the conversation about you. Make it about them. And in the right moment, then you can interject your piece. That might not be the first meeting, by the way. Show compassion and empathy 
to the doubter. These are the things that that I guarantee the disciples were doing, and it's what you see Jesus has done as well, showed compassion and empathy. Because when you let yourself feel the hurt and the pain and the struggle of another person, then here's what happens. You're better equipped to help meet their needs. And when you listen and you put yourself in the shoes and you try to walk a mile in the shoes of the doubter that you love and you care about and that you want to see restored like the disciples did with Thomas, and you put yourself into their shoes for a mile then all of a sudden you're now better prepared to help them actually build that bridge back to faith and back to hope. So when you and I, we work together to make new life a safe place for those who are doubting, then you're offering an opportunity for someone to exchange their doubt for hope. (laughs) That's what God's in the business of doing. Taking doubt and exchanging it for hope. That's exactly what happened in Thomas's life. He exchanged his doubt for hope. Verse 28 and 29 starts out with Thomas saying this, my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Right after all of this, his first words out of his mouth, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me, Thomas. But blessed are those, and he's talking about you right now, Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Thomas made a bold turnaround, guys. He made a bold turnaround from doubting to hope. When he said this, okay, Jesus, you are God. Doubt to hope. And you're not just God. Jesus, you are my God. You are my Lord and you are my leader. Doubt to hope. And the transformation process, it happened because Thomas ended up having this first-hand revelation with Jesus. And this is the same thing that Jesus offers to you and to me, to get this first-hand revelation with him, where we come face-to-face with Jesus. Because when you come face-to-face with the source of hope, there's only one thing that doubt can do. Doubt has to turn into hope. Doubt surrenders to hope when you have a first-hand revelation with Jesus. And Jesus is saying this about future generations like you and me, that when we believe in Jesus then our heart can be filled with hope. So look, you may not be able to physically touch the scars of Jesus like Thomas did, but you can still have a firsthand revelation with Jesus. And I'm going to tell you today that from this man's life, there is no substitute. There is no substitute for a firsthand revelation. When the disciples had the firsthand revelation, they believed, they instantly believed in Jesus. Thomas required that firsthand revelation. There is no way, church, for you to live on this earth without having a firsthand revelation of Jesus and to have hope. You can't avoid it. You've got to press through. You've got to get into that place where you get face to face. You see the face of Jesus. It was back in the 1700s at some point, and a ship was sailing around the Horn of Africa. It was carrying passengers, and a storm came up like it often does in, you know, that place. And they're traveling around that southern tip of Africa. A storm just brews up, and it's brutal. And all the passengers are down in the belly of the ship, and they are just, like, fraught with fear. And they're overcome, you know, with worry. And doubt is starting to fill their heart that they will actually make it and live through this experience. And then one man decides, with a little bit of boldness, he decides, I'm going to climb out of the pit. And he climbs out of the pit, and he gets, he gets to the main deck level, and the wind is, is just 
blowing like crazy all over the place and water's like slamming onto the deck and it's coming over the front of the ship and he looks through all of this chaos and he sees the captain and he kind of hangs onto some ropes and he makes his way closer to the captain and he sees the captain's face all of a sudden. And he sees in the midst of this storm that the captain's face is tranquil and undisturbed. And as he looks at the captain, the captain sees him as he's steering the ship. The captain looks at the man and smiles. That's all the man needed. He hangs onto the ropes and he makes his way back. And he climbs back down into the belly of the ship and he gets around the passengers. And the passengers are huddled together in fear. And he just goes, guys, guys, guys. Everything's going to be okay. I just saw the face of the captain. In your life, there's only one way that everything's going to be okay. There's only one way that doubt is going to turn to hope. And that's when you see the face of the captain. You got to climb the ladder. You got to go to a place where maybe no one else is going today. You got to get out of the belly of the ship that you're caught in your doubt and your worry and your fear. And you got to climb it. And you got to get desperate to see the face of Jesus today. And if you'll take time to encounter Jesus today and to get a firsthand revelation of him, then the storm of doubt that is swirling all around you can instantly become a place of hope. Why is that true? That's true because of what we said day one in this series. And the last words that I want to speak of this series, and that's this, that wherever Jesus is, hope is there. Invite Jesus into the midst of the storm of your doubt. And when Jesus shows up and you have a face-to-face encounter with him, hope fills your heart. So that's what I want you to do. And let's also strive to be the church that where Jesus shows grace to the doubter and the disciples show grace to the doubter, let's also show grace to the doubter. Why don't you stand with me? Lord, as we come to you, we come to you with all confidence, with all boldness in our voice because we know that you have proven yourself to have grace for us. You've you've shown grace to our weariness. You've shown grace to our brokenness. You've shown grace to us when we're the underdog. And you've shown grace to us when we doubt. And every single one of those times, it stirs up hope inside of our heart. We can't can't produce hope, but you can. The kind of hope that sustains us, that helps us overcome the obstacles of life, overcome the mountains of life, only you can provide that. And Lord, I pray for New Life Church and everybody worshiping at all of our campuses. I pray right now in Jesus' name, that they would climb out of the belly of their doubts and out of the storm of their doubts and get face-to-face with the captain. Because when they get face-to-face with you, Jesus, and they have a first-hand revelation with you through worship, through prayer, they invite you into the storm of doubt in their life. Everything can change. So Lord, I pray that this church in these next few minutes would have a first-hand revelation with you that changes and transforms their life like you transformed Thomas's life. And may they hear your voice like Thomas heard your voice. That, Lord, you don't want us to live in doubt and worry and fear, but you want us to believe again. You want us to have hope again. May this church forever be a church filled with the hope of Jesus Christ. And may our hearts 
be filled with the hope that only Christ can provide. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen.